listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Welcome to another episode of our podcast special, Gory Details, the series where we interview horror figures from all walks of life and give them an opportunity to speak about their experiences. As per usual, I'm Palmer, and today we've got horror author J.P. Willie, a self-published author, sergeant first class in the U.S. Army, and now a director. He's been stationed everywhere from Fort Bragg to Mannheim and has served in tours in Afghanistan. Uh, with the 82nd Airborne Division and the 173rd Airborne Brigade. We'll be talking to him about life, horror, influences, and his first novel, Blood in the Woods, which is available now on Amazon. We'll be sure to leave a link where you can buy the book in the description of this week's episode in case you're interested. I really loved it. Joe, thanks for coming on today. How are you? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we should probably start off with the most obvious question. Uh what are your what are your horror go tos? They can be movies, books, games, experiences. What what influenced you the most? I guess your love of horror the most. The love of horror. Oh man, you know I've never been asked that question. I've been asked, you know, you know, one of my favorite horror movies. But uh, what do I go to for my horror? I'd have to say I'd have to say movies. Uh, movies. You know, I'm a big fan of Jaws, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, really, a lot of extreme like foreign films, like uh, Martyrs, uh, Frontiers, a Serbian film, uh, like some really you know dark material like that. Yeah, those uh, are some I, of my favorites too, personally. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean they're they're tough to stomach for some people, but um, me as just a horror fan, I'm not really scared of much. So I, I really want the audience or the or the the film to disturb me more than anything. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm right. I, I think I'm that's right why I go into that. So you're definitely on the extreme side of things, especially when you're mentioned dropping a Serbian film. Uh, man, I just rewatched that the other day, actually, for, for the first time since it came out, uh, because it was one of those ones that I was like, it, I think I had built it up in my head compared to the first time that I watched it to the second time. I mean, it's definitely a, a fucking shocking film, but rewatching it again recently, I was like, you know, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't as bad as I remember. I don't know if it's just me becoming more desensitized to things. <laughs> Dude, I think the army, and that's another thing. I think my 18 years in service has desensitized me to so much shit. So like, I have to see some pretty dark content to like unnerve me just uh, like a bit. I think the last really good one that I watched was on Netflix called Baskin. Uh, I really, I really liked it. And um, I'm a big fan of Rob Zombie as well, too. I think uh, he doesn't get enough respect for some of the films that he does. Uh, I know we're sort of shackled in America with our rating schemes and everything of what really gets onto the big screen. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike those foreign films that we watch where they can push the limits and really, you know, unnerve the audience. So I think Rob Zombie does a bit of that, making it slightly disturbing through his dialogue and several scenes and the characters, you know, are, they're always flawed and, you know, pretty, um, you know, lacking compassion and everything. So so I, I dig his character development that he does. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're desensitized, man. Like, it takes it. I hate even saying that I am a fan of Serbian film because most people look at you and they're like, "God, I hate you, you yeah. fucking weirdo." Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it was beautifully shot. The violence was great. I mean, mind a couple of scenes. I, I couldn't. I, you know, could have been left out. Like one scene in particular with the baby and stuff. Right, like right. I get what the director was trying to do. If you could have cut that one scene out, you had a badass film. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. I think uh, I think he might have crossed a little bit of a line with that. I the uh, same thing. I I see what his intention was. Um, 
the American cut, actually, that the one, the NC-17 one has that, has that scene removed. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that one versus, the, I, it sounds like you've seen the the uncut one, definitely, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, the American cut has that scene removed. So, you mentioned your, your, your military experience. You've been part of the Army for 18 years, am I right in that? Yes, brother. 18 years going strong, man, trying to get to 20 and retire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, I mean, some of the stuff that you've seen there has definitely, you know, shocked you and I'm sure has, has desensitized you to certain things. But I guess how, how have your experiences with combat and your time with the military kind of helped shape who you are now? I believe it, it helped shape me, you know, as a person. Like, I come from a single parent and, you know, I was raised by my mother, so I didn't really have a dad. And so... um uh, the, the military is really what raised me. So um, I guess I, I really don't know. Uh, I believe that violence solves everything. I believe in, in a lot of my writings and in my works, there's always a extreme level of violence that sort of comes out of nowhere like an ambush. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, the Army has just, like I said, desensitized me a bit. And I think in my work, she'll always pick up some type of uh, just violence within, you know, the novel or the films that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's just my mentality or I don't know. I think that's what's been sort of ingrained in me. I mean, it's the job that we're, you know, supposed to do. It's the devil's work, man. Nobody likes doing it. Right, right. Have you ever read anything by Cormac McCarthy? No. No. Check him out. Uh, he's a, a really famous American author. He's actually pretty He's – he's – notorious for writing books that are uh obscenely violent and it comes out of nowhere and uh it sounds like it'd be right up your alley there's a couple of them and they're they're kind of hard to read one in particular blood meridian it's really it's it takes a while to get through because there's there's no punctuation uh there's like no like at least when characters are talking uh so there's nothing that kind of separates spoken dialogue from what's kind of going on with the regular with the regular storyline so it gets a little confusing and you might have to go back and kind of reread pages that's what i had to do at least when i read it but man that was like talk about a film or uh, a book that kind of um it, it just dives headfirst into senseless violence and there's no necessary point behind it except to say that like the world is violent so that might be something to check out yeah, for sure, man. I'll definitely look. In, I'll definitely look into that. But uh, I guess, would you, if you, if you had the opportunity, I mean, would you go? Would you go back into the military? I know you're getting ready. You've still got two more years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, would you, if you, if you had to start all over, would you go back in? Would you, would you jump head first back into it? I guess. Uh, if I could start my life over, I'd do a lot of things differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I joined the military, my goal in life was to be a professional wrestler. Like I used to do all the backyard wrestling stuff, you know, everything. So if I could go back in time, I'd chase that dream first. And if it didn't work out or, you know, whatever, then I'd probably go the military route. You know, I was always interested in joining the military since high school. So it was always on it was always on my table. Let's talk about what drew you to being an author. What are uh, I know we had talked about some of your biggest uh, film influences, but what what got you into writing in particular? I can't tell you. Uh, I read Stephen King for for many years and I started getting into his books pretty heavy uh, when I was on numerous deployments uh, to Afghanistan. And I started reading his work, and it was great. And then he, you know, over the years, he sort of just slowed down, but putting out, like, horror. So, and then, you know, I read some other horror authors and everything over the years. But in 2006, I'm sorry, 2008, I started writing Blood in the Woods. And it's really because I started writing because I knew I had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And it was unlike anything I'd ever read from, like, King or, you know, Stoker or, you know, you know, Clive Barker that was out there 
And I was like, man, if I could just tell this story and get it out there, I know people will love it. Right. And, and so I guess being a storyteller and just loving good stories, I, um, that's what made me just start putting a uh, pen to paper. You know, I, it was my way um, of honoring my childhood friends and family uh, when I started writing Blood in the Woods because it is inspired by true events mm-hmm. um, and everything from my life. So um, there were many reasons, I guess, why I started doing it. So you spent, you said you started writing this in 2009, I'm sorry? Uh, 2008, I started the draft of Blood in the Woods, mm-hmm. uh, like 2007, 2008 timeframe. It took me almost two years to write it, just being in the military and bouncing around and raising a family and everything. So I, it finally got published in 2016. And that was for the first time, correct? Yeah, it was. Yes, that was for the first time. Okay. And it was with an independent publisher. And I was so embarrassed by it, man. Like this independent publisher uh, went out of business. Uh, they, you know, took all my money. You know, they did they did everything that was wrong that a publisher is not supposed to do. And um, after that, because, uh, I mean, literally, they took my manuscript and did no editing whatsoever. Uh, oh, they wow. were just trying to make a buck. Yeah, man. So if you have a copy of the original Blood in the Woods that came out, it's full of grammatical errors. I was so embarrassed by it, man, but I knew I had something special because despite all of the you know errors within the book, it was getting great reviews. Right. And, and it sort of shocked me. And so I had I pull, I broke my contract with that publisher and I self-published the novel for a bit. Uh, I had a good friend, Katie Justice, who's an ex-soldier. Uh, she got out, uh, who did some touch-ups for it uh, on me and self-published it. It, it still continued to sell. Mm-hmm. And then Hellbound Books discovered it and they wanted it like immediately. And so that's, you know where it is now and it's the best version of the book possible and um it was everything i always wanted for what hellbound did for me and i just appreciate they were there for me and believed in the work and you know made it marketable and made it a book if that makes sense because it is an art to like turn something into a novel into reading like a book right 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 and i mean it 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 sounds like you went through a long journey with this thing uh i I never gave up man i never gave up because you know as a writer and you know as a a creator you know when you have something special and you know that if you keep driving, if you don't wait for people to knock on your door, you go knock their door down. And that's exactly what I continued to do. And it's been it's been working out, you know, great for me. You know, I'm on your show, which is awesome. I've been <laughs> numerous others. And I think it's the horror community like yourself and everyone else that's ever supported me or had me on is what continues, you know, to make this novel successful. Yeah, and I think I think you know the horror community in general is always looking for that thing that's different. You know, we we the genre has been so established and it has so many tropes and and uh, things that are just recycled that we see over and over again. That when something new comes along, it's always exciting to jump in. And uh, you've definitely got a unique voice. I think. What did you learn? What did you learn from from getting published? For it was Fearfront that the company was called initially, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was them. Uh, so what did you learn from that? And what advice do you have for, for authors that are trying to get out there, that are trying to get their, their, their books published? Don't rush to failure. Um, it's very exciting when you get that, you know, that email or that phone call saying they want your manuscript. And, you know, self-publishing is huge, man. It's so competitive nowadays. It's ridiculous. Like trying to break through doing, you know, what I'm doing in, you know, the literary sense, it's almost impossible because there's so much competition. And it makes people wonder, like, if Stephen King, and you know, like Dean Koontz came out at this time in life, would their stories even make it as big as they are? Because there's so much stuff out there. Right. But, but I mean, for people who are 
trying to do this and they're trying to make a name for themselves and, and they want to get out there and they want their work to get out there. Number one, you got to know your worth, man. And number two, you got to know that you have something special. If you don't feel it like in your heart and your guts and your bones, then you, you don't have it. So, and once you get, you know, when, what you got to understand about the independent publishing world too, because I went back with Hellbound Books because uh, it's a way to network. And I wanted to go back with an indie publisher uh, for networking. And Hellbound does, you know, great at that. But when you get with independent publishers, what, you know, writers and authors and guys and gals up and coming wanting their work published, what they got to understand is that these indie companies don't have the money like the big publishing houses. So you got to carry your weight. You have to, you have to be... Um, exciting. You have to find new ways to promote yourself, to promote your work. And the publisher isn't going to do it for you. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not going to do everything for you. So it's a, it's sort of like a give and take relationship and Hellbound's a great place to be. Uh, you know, they set up all my book signings uh, and everything. We communicate well, me and James, uh, the CEO of the, uh, of the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the best indies uh, to be with, Hellbound Books. You know, they got some other ones out there like Crystal Lake Publishing and uh, there's some other ones that you'll see out there running around on social media, but for those trying to get in, you got to start somewhere. And if you're getting becoming impatient, like it took blood in the woods. I, I finished it like the end of 2009, 2010. It didn't get picked up to 2016, 2017 timeframe. So it, it, I was grinding for a long time. I was searching for a publishing company for years and I could have easily just threw it away and gave up on it, man. And mm. So if, if that's you and you're listening to this and if it's you and you want to quit or you want to just hang it up, then, you know, do you boo boo. But if you know you got something special, then you need to you need to keep, you know, beating on that door to knock it down. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah. And just understand that indie publishers are not the big publishing houses. Uh, you're not going to get paid royalties like up front. Like if you write a manuscript, you give it to them. They're like, oh, I'll give you, you know, $3,000 for this. That, that's not going to happen. You got to promote yourself. You got to bring the money in if you want it. Right. And, and you know, I think it takes a special type of drive to do that kind of thing. If 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 you don't have it, then then maybe it's not the realm for you. But I think I think you've like you said, you've got something special here. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that something special. Let's jump into Blood in the Woods. Um like I said, I really ended up enjoying this a lot. I'm I'm a pretty passive reader. Um, it takes me like months usually to get through a book just because I put them down. Like, I'll, whenever I sit down and read, I read a chunk of it and then I'll put it down and then it'll take me forever to get back to it. But something about this one kept kept me reeled in. I plowed through this whole book in in about eight hours, and I yeah, don't usually well, I don't usually don't do that with with books. Your writing style. I think it's pretty unique. It tends to meander, and I and please don't take that negatively. I don't mean that negatively. It's it it's oh, no. it, it's interesting because it offers like insights and and tidbits that kind of make the overall story feel a lot more rich and grounded than other narratives. I think uh, like one moment, you know, Jody will be revealing the main storyline, and then moments later, he's discussing a thought that popped into his head or offering some side tangent about his friends or family. Um, and you don't find that too often in writing, at least not to the extent that you do it. What helped you, I guess, develop this approach to storytelling? What what made you think that this was the approach that you wanted to go with? I wanted it to feel when readers read the novel that one of your best friends was sitting next to you just recounting their life. I wanted to feel like you were sitting next to one of your best friends that you grew up with or maybe someone you didn't know. And he wanted to tell you about a traumatic and disturbing, you know, coming of age tale that maybe he or her had right and so i guess that's how i sort of just went into blood in the woods to write i just wanted the book to connect with people and just to speak with people not make it too thick or too 
richer, make it sound more than what it was. I just wanted it to connect and be simple and uh, an easy, enjoyable read. And that's sort of just, I guess, how I plotlined it and how I went into it is, you know, I think Forrest Gump came to my mind a lot when I first started plotlining. You, know, <laughs> you, have a, you, have a, you have a guy in the present and he's telling you, know, you the story about his entire past. And then you end up with the novel ending in the present. Right. And so that's sort of what was my guideline, my plot line, like sort of, I sort of based off Forrest Gump storytelling wise. I won't, you know, it, if that makes sense. So, and that's when I plot lined it and that's just how I started to write it. I wanted to tell a story. That was it. Yeah. And I think, I think in that sense, you were incredibly successful. Uh, you know, it, it definitely reads and is like, like you said, a friend of yours just kind of sitting on the couch by you telling telling you an iteration of something that happened in their life. And I, I think in that regards, you, you, you captured it like 100%. That's exactly how it felt to me when I was reading it. I think that's one of the reasons that it kept compelling me to turn the page is because it did feel like I was just hearing about a tale from somebody I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, but the other big plus about it is that you managed to make Ryan Road really come to life. Um, there's not a ton of constant suspense, but it lingers throughout the course of the novel and you do build it up. But at times this book seems more like a coming of age story than it does, you know, any jolting horror read. How did you manage to tap into your inner child and bring Jody and Jack to life so vividly? It was very simple because most of the things readers don't know is that you're reading a fictitious sort of retelling of my childhood and the experiences I had you know, dealing with the occult. So when you read Jack about me and Jack, my that that is me and my best friend. Uh, me and Jack are still best friends to this day. So my childhood was very magical to me. It was the best time of my life. You know, you know, minus you know, getting married to my wife and having my children. It was the probably the happiest moments of my life were spent with Jack. And so it was very easy for me to get into a, a room and you know turn on the laptop and sit down. I just start thinking about how me and Jack talked and all the crazy shit we used to do. And you're reading some of that in Blood of the Woods. Everything that you read crazy that the boys did, like mischievous-wise, like, we did it. And there's tons of stuff, <laughs> that, and there's tons of stuff that I left out that, we, that you know, just didn't really fit into the narrative because it is fictitious. Right. Uh, I, had, I had to tell a story. And um, just bringing Ride Road, Ryan Road to life was just really simple. Like, I just closed my eyes and I remembered my best friend's. You know, I used to think about him when I was in Afghanistan under the stars. You know, I was like, hey, fucking Taliban's trying to kill me. wonder what Jack's doing. I wonder, you know, what <laughs> I, I, wonder, I wonder what Angela and Crystal and Justin, what they're up to. You know, how did their life turn out, you know, compared to mine sitting up under here, you know, in, in February, freezing to death in the middle of the desert. Right, and, right. Um, and so, and I guess that's why it came really simple. And you're not the first person, you know, to say that, that it sort of just comes to life. I mean, it's not a grand rule uh, or I mean, like a urban like city. I'm bringing to life. It's just really a country street, which is how it was. But um, I think that was just really simple, and I think it can be simple to anyone who wants to write or reminisce about some of the best times of their lives, and it just flows easy. Yeah, I mean, they they say write what you know, and and it definitely <laughs> shines shines in this book. Uh, you know that that the the part where they're they're riding to prom, and he's on the handlebars, and they're switching back and forth. Uh, it just it felt it felt really like I was right there with him, you know. In my brain, the entire time, I'm I'm passing the same 
sewage ditches on the sides and going over the same bridge with them and all sorts of stuff. And, and I think it's impressive that you managed to do this for your first time. It's not all like fun and games for these kids. You know, when you turn on the horror, you manage to make it emerge with full force. There's some seriously graphic depictions of stuff here. Sacrifices, carcasses. Uh, actually, you know, one of the, the, the things that I found the most striking was when you described the smell of rot. Uh, it made me feel a lot like I could smell some of the things you were describing. And, and I guess uh, my question is, how did you, how did you manage to bring that all to life so vividly? Do you think your, your combat experience and, and that had a lot to do with it or it was just your imagination? It was based off a lot of things that, you know, odd things that I witnessed. And, and you're correct. Blood in the Woods is more of a coming of age novel than it is horror. And I think, you know, the book gets shackled a lot because when you say, you know, horror novel, it turns off millions of readers because right. millions of readers don't read horror. But when I wanted the horror to come, uh, I wanted it to come, like you said, full force, uh, you know, gloves off. I wanted to make this truly terrifying for, for anyone reading it. And what makes Blood in the Woods so terrifying is that it's real. Like things like this happen. Right. Uh, things like this happen right now as we speak. That happens in, in this novel to children. It happens right now. And um, I just wanted you know, readers to sort of feel some of my demons, you know, that I struggle with. I sort of, when it came to that content, like I, I thought about myself, I thought about it when I was, you know, plotlining blood in the woods and, you know, stand by me and, you know, the body, you know, written by Stephen King was, you know, one of my favorite, you know, novellas ever, you know, written by him. And I, and I loved it. And I, but I thought to myself, you know, what is a child's true loss of innocence? Like, when do you hit like, when 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 do we consider a child losing their loss of innocence? Right. And when I add, you know, my ending, all that shot into my head, and I, I had the answer. Yeah. And yeah, so I just sort of went from there with it. Like it's a true loss of innocence. Um, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking. You know, to a lot of readers uh, when they read it, they get their emotions get pulled in a lot of different directions, mm -hmm. and the least direction it gets pulled in is horror. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, the, the, the final events that happen to Jody, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely horrific. I think that's a good word to describe it. But like you said, it's, it's really almost, it's, I'm, I was focused more on, on how heartbreaking it is that everything he's gone through. I mean, but he, he, that character experiences so much loss. He's got, he, he had, he loses family. He loses friends. He loses his first love. He loses his innocence, as you put it. And it's, it's actually kind of like hard to find the redeeming end of, of the story for him in, in the sense that like it, it all just plays out like a tragedy. Um, and it, it was it. I got to ask: Was it inten intentional for you to make the light of at the end of his tunnel seem so so bleak? Yeah, I did. I didn't want a super happy ending. I wanted you know it to feel like life. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, for a lot of people, I, I I didn't want the knight in shining armor ending. You know, with him, you know, getting the girl um, and, and all that stuff. I, I just wanted it to be bittersweet and i wanted it to pull at your heart mm -hmm. and i wanted you when you were done with the book i wanted you to pick up a phone and find your best friend in the phone book or online or however you stalk them nowadays yeah and just and pick <laughs> and pick up the phone and call that person and be like hey dude i haven't talked to you in years man you remember when we used to do this and that i guess that's really what i, I wanted to do uh -huh. was to make you know readers put the phones down the book down pick up their phones and reach out you know call their mother or father maybe that 
you know, they hadn't spoken to in years. They had a fallen out. Just pick it up and call and tell them that they that they miss them or they still love them. Because we only have today, man. And I, I think Blood in the Woods, you know, there's a lot of loss in it. And, um, you know, we experience loss all the time, you know, millions of people. And uh, it's very bittersweet. And I, and I wanted it that way. The other interesting thing that I that I noticed with this, so you make you make a point of of kind of telling readers that that uh, Satanists are not like the people you mentioned in the book. So you're implying that they're not all bad people, but you also make a point of talking about Christianity, saying you know you call uh, you Jody uses the phrase "good Christians" to describe several well, a couple of times in the book to describe some people. Um, so what what is your stance on religion? I'm not necessarily asking you to preach one way or the other, but I thought it was just interesting that you point out that both sides of the coin have have redeeming qualities. I guess so. Do you do you think that they're equally decent? Um, what are your thoughts oh, man. on that? But you're putting me on the spot on that one. Like, <laughs> you're putting, yeah, I, I, great question though. Um, no one's ever asked me that because you know you're never you're never supposed to talk religion or politics with anyone. You know, unless you really want to know and you ask. Uh, but yes, I, I'm Christian, like 100 percent, born and raised. Uh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm Christian, and I have friends though that are you know Satanist. I have you know individuals that I talk to that are Wiccans. Uh, that. And, and they're still great, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if Jesus Christ was like still on this earth, he wouldn't judge these people. He would still, you know, talk to them and, 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 you know, you know, you know, you know, whatever, if they were around, you know what I mean? So when I, when I wrote blood in the woods, I did not want to offend any religion, you know, that had a stigma to it because right. during the height of the satanic panic, because it was real and it was really real in that town that I lived in on that street because it was everywhere. Um, I just, I didn't want to offend, you know, anyone because not all people do that. And I so I tried to I had to research all the religions, you know, even before writing the novel, you know, as I was plotlining, I had to, you know, study up on the occult, I had to study up on Satanism, study up on devil worship, which is two totally different things. Right. I had to study up on all this and that. And I just wanted, I guess, to show and that's why at one point in the book the kids meet a Satanist that is not a bad person at all. So I wanted to throw that character in there to have like sort of a, you know, break up the stigmatism, you know, that the Bible belt down here has mm-hmm. about a certain individuals or how people dress or look or, or, you know, or what, you know, religion they choose to be a part of. So I had to sort of tread carefully there because as a first time author, I didn't want to, you know, piss a whole bunch of people off. Right. And that was, not what, <laughs> that's not what I meant to do. And I didn't want to do that because, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not a, preachy person you know if you want to talk to me about religion i do it but i think blood in the woods um you know i get labeled a lot on it people are like dude you're you're christian and you wrote that you wrote about like all that horrible things that happened to those children and all this and i'm like i'm like yeah i was like it's just a book man i was like somebody's got to tell a story and and you know i get judged for being a christian and writing such dark content um but I did have to tread carefully, and you know, I know many of people of many religions that's read the book, and it has not offended anyone. But um, yeah, I wanted to just have – I wanted to show – even though all the darkness was happening, I wanted to show you know, good in everyone. Okay. All right. And I can I can definitely appreciate that. Uh, so you said that this is based off an incident that happened in your hometown? Many, many incidents. Okay. So what, many, what exactly many, ha- happened? Uh, when, when I was little, it all started like – Basically, sort of when the book took place, uh, every full moon, uh, my mother and I used to hear just like rhythmic drum beats, like constantly coming from the woods. And um, 
you know, a whole bunch of stuff would circulate through the town because uh, I lived in Baptist. It's actually on the outskirts of Hammond, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So it's like separated by like three, four miles. And uh, then we had a local Christian school that was like a mile up the road uh, from you know my house, from the trailer that we used to live in. And there was pentagrams spray painted all over it. And uh, like there was rumors of, you know, crypt vandalism and corpses being taken out. And um, my grandfather, Paul, in the novel, like our dog was actually accused of killing um, a guy down the street, his cattle. Oh, wow. And yeah, man, that's that's all true. And what was happening, um, this is a crazy story. I had I have many articles out there on the Internet that were written about, you know, the novel and everything. And one of the reporters here from Leesville, Louisiana, reached out to a guy that was a news reporter for like the New Orleans, like Pacquian Times or whatever. And during the late 80s, early 90s, he heard the reports of the occult practices going on in Hammond and, you know, the hometown I'm from. So he drove up here to do a report uh, during those times. And he went into a gas station, asked some questions, and he came out and he had a dagger sticking in his seat that basically said, like, get out, stop asking questions, yada, yada, yada. This guy, after like 30, 30 plus years, came forward with that story and it's in the article. About, oh, wow. Yeah. And when Blood in the Woods hit the local Hammond newspaper, uh, there was this lady that worked there. I'm not even sure she's still there. I haven't spoken to her in a while. Her name was Miss Lil. And when she heard about Blood in the Woods coming out and I reached out to her, she was like, oh, my God. She was like, I remember all these stories. She was like, all the cattle mutilations that was happening, all the animals found up in the woods, you know, occult practices. There were even like uh, a rumor that behind the Hammond High School, there was like a, a murder that was supposed to be devil worship. So, you know, there's so much stuff that was real that happened in there. Like me and my friends, like we used to find like altars in the woods, like deep in the woods. I oh, would wow. Find, like, animal intestines, like hanging on trees. Like I'd go back and tell my mom and she'd be like, Jody, keep your ass in the house. Yada, 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 yada. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and wait a couple of days and then, you know, I'd be back outside. Just our curiosity kept pushing us further and further and over years to figure out stuff like the incident when the kids were on the trampoline bouncing. That happened. That was that was real. Like wow. I can't I can't explain it. And I've been I, and I wish I could have all my friends on one of these podcasts with me, like just to talk about these things because it did happen. I mean, not to the extent that I drove the story in the narrative, but it happened. There was a guy looking over the fence at us, like in the middle of the woods, as we're bouncing on a trampoline. And so, when those weird things were happen- happening, and I decided to start writing, I had a perfect narrative for a creepy, you know, cult horror story. Yeah, yeah, so, it kind of like fell in your lap. <laughs> Yeah, it sort of fell in my lap, man. And and what really made me like start bringing the violence and you know the horrible things that happened to several of the children in the book was when I came back from my second deployment to Afghanistan. Jack, his sister Jamie, had passed away, and I discovered also at that time too that the crimes that were committed in the Hosanna Church out in Ponchatoula, which is like a town separated by Hammond by like a mile, mm-hmm. uh, a pastor was in there running satanic rituals late at night and his two children were being raped by his congregation and one of the guys that was charged you know with those crimes grew up on my street so <laughs> that's crazy on that shit for a minute yeah and you know and you know who told me about that was angela she called me when the novel came out she was like you're stirring up so much shit with this <laughs> and i was like i was like i don't mean to i'm, I'm just telling you know what i experienced and you know, I turned it into a novel. And most people, if I could like sort of lay it out in their brains, like Blood in the Woods is sort of a 
prequel to HBO's hit show True Detective. Because if people who are listening don't know, and if you're a fan of True Detective, the first season of True Detective was based off off the crimes that were committed in that church out in Ponchatoula. Oh wow, that's nuts! That's yes. nuts. <laughs> that, that's just crazy that you were so close to all these just horrific events. That's I can definitely see where the source material comes from now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know you're in the midst of writing a novella, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what's that called? And can you give us any updates on that or, or, or its progress? Yeah, it's called Hot Summer Savior. It's just going to be my first novella. I really just don't have the time right now to just keep plucking away the novel. I, I sort of want to get something out by next year and you know, start looking for a, a literary home for it, mm-hmm. either with Hellbound or with anybody else that you know wants to take it. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I think it's um, I think, you know, fans are going to enjoy it. Uh, it's an original story. Um it's fun. It's a whole lot of fun to write so far mm-hmm. and everything. So I'm bouncing back between that, you know, writing scripts for the films I got going on and the film I'm shooting in January and February of next year. So I stay pretty busy. Okay. So you're, you're, you're not just writing stuff though. You're directing shorts as well, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what's, what's the process like for, I guess, writing screenplays versus writing novellas or books? Does it differ? It does just because I, you know, direct and produce the films. Uh, I think script writing is a, a lot faster mm-hmm. and easier, especially if you're the director and you know, you know, when you go through your shot list, when you pull your cinematographer in of what you want, you have the vision in your mind already of how your film is going, is going to go and how it's going to look. So you, uh, I, I can be less descriptive in my writings, you know, as long as I got, you know, the snapshot of what's happening for the actors and the actresses and I got my dialogue locked down, you know, I got a film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, you look at like you can like download like a James Cameron script compared to like say the original Predator script that had like two writers. Like James Cameron scripts are very straight and to the point. And you look at you know some of the other guys who are like trying to sell a script, like pitching it to all these production companies in Hollywood. It's so much visual detail in it right. uh, because they're trying to sell their script to get it made. So you have to be more visual in your writing and detailed. Yeah. But I find it, you know, being a, you know, indie director and producer, I find scripts easy and uh, it's I can produce, you know, a whole lot faster and a whole lot more, um, you know, writing screenplays. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So how do you kind of like balance writing and directing? I I mean, they're both very different mediums. Where do you find where do you find the time to do all this? I I just I just fit it in, man. And, you know, if you are a leader, you know, in the United States Army or any service, uh, you can be a director. It's all about just command and control. Right. And it's, you know, helping everyone achieve the same goal and and getting to the the finish line together. And I really enjoy doing it. Uh, I've worked with some great people, uh, extreme, extremely talented people, man, that would never, you know, you wouldn't know existed until you start doing indie films and getting it out there. And uh, hopefully by next year, uh, we'll have the first two films uh, out into film festivals. So okay. really excited. What, yeah. Which two are those? Uh, Crybaby Bridge, a Louisiana urban legend. We wrapped that in November. Uh, Welcome Home Rougarou, which is a short story that I wrote and self-published on Amazon. It reached number five for short reads at one point in its lifespan on there. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still, it's, it's still on there. Uh, but uh, it was just a quick like thousand words short, like a flash fiction piece that I wrote because I wanted something else out there mm. to my name, Yeah, you know, besides yeah. blood in the woods that people can read at, you know, drinking their morning coffee or whatever. 
and it ended up being just the perfect short film. Okay. And you know, I wrote the screenplay. A screenplay. I was able to, you know, just focus on different areas than I did in the short flash fiction piece. Mm-hmm. And I think this is it's going to be a wonderful film. Wonderful cast and crew, soundtrack, everything. Man, it's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out myself. Uh, speaking of which, kind of diverging real quick, I meant to ask you this earlier. How has how has it been kind of being on Amazon? Has that been a beneficial thing for you? Has it given you more more exposure? I mean, it sounds like you have with the 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 short stories. Mm-hmm. No, the only thing that Amazon does for you, man, is you know it, the reviews matter. So if you're listening here and if you've read Blood in the Woods, please go give it a review. And and the reason these reviews work is the more I think once you get over fifty, which Blood in the Woods has that, um, they automatically sort of put you like in a auto promoting like system within Amazon because your book is selling, you know, you got a lot of reviews. It's sort of a you know, they sort of stack you by precedence, I guess, of, of how they naturally promote yourself or your your work, you know, without you having to pay for those services. Uh, what really gets out and gets a lot of attention for this book are like guys and gals like yourself. Uh, it's the podcast. It's the the reviews that you guys and gals write up and post for people to get out there and they start, you know, purchasing it. At um, Amazon, just gives people a very easy click button and have it in the mail the next day. Right, right, um, right, right. But but the reviews matter for your authors and your indie authors. You know, a review you ain't got to write one probably for Stephen King because he probably just sold a million books in the last twenty minutes we've been on here. <laughs> so so, but for us guys and gals starting out, the reviews matter, and I appreciate all the honest reviews that come out. And uh, I appreciate everything everyone does for me and the opportunities that I'm given. Do you have any projects that fans can look forward to uh, in the future? Any ideas maybe for, for a, a Blood in the Woods film? Maybe Ooh, directed a by of, you? <laughs> a lot of people. A lot of people are talking about that. A lot of people want to see that happen. Well, that trailer that she shot for the book was actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just that was real quick, man. Done really fast. Um, my goal as a film uh, you know, maker is to get my foot in the door. I, re- I retire in two years, man, and I want to do something for the rest of my life that I love to do. Mm-hmm. I, g- I got to get my foot in the door some way, and, and the way that I get my foot in the door as a director is to win. Yeah. I have to get my films done, complete. I have to get them into film festivals, and I have to win. I have to fucking win everything that I possibly can in any department within those festivals. Once I do that, I can get some notoriety behind my name, not only as just a film director you know, and filmmaker, but also as an author, too. My goal is through these short films is to make them excellent and win and eventually get my foot in the door and move on to making a full feature, you know, Blood in the Woods uh, movie for, you know, a theatrical release. And, you know, because if it's if it's made, if it goes to film, I mean, it is its competition. And Stranger Things is it's like the adult version of Stranger Things. Somebody called it. And I, I know I know Decay Magazine wrote a review on it. And they said it was a deadlier homage to Stephen King's It and Stand By Me. Yeah, I can definitely so, see that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's got, you know, it's got everything to it. And I think the time that we're in in the world right now, people love that nostalgic feel. They want to go back, you know, to those happy times, man. Maybe your life just isn't how it turned out. Maybe your life just isn't where you want it to be right now. And I think when people read Blood in the Woods, minus, the, you know, some of the horrific scenes that are in there, which aren't many, I mean, it's bringing people back, and, it, and it's making them pick up the phones and call their old friends and, and do whatever. And I think, you know, bringing that to the screen, uh, not only would it be extremely competitive, but it might be a classic. Because um, there's been no film that extreme and that, you know, intense involving, you know, children and, you know, the occult and, and in horror. 
Right, so, right. Yeah, I definitely I mean, think ne- you've got a I've niche there. Yeah, I've never seen it. Like even the it, you know, the novel is a you know completely different. It's a little bit more intense. But like the the film, when I watched it, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. You know, because I had, you know, Blood in the Woods was out, and I was like, you know, and I was like, okay, let me watch the film and see. And it, it was pr- it was very mild, man. And but, you know, Blood in the Woods ever went to screen, it's it's going to give people an intense ride. I mean, you've read it. If yep. you can only see that on the screen, it would be the standby me of horror. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. I think you've got a point there. Uh, wrapping up, is there is there anything else you want to promote? Can you tell us where people can find you on social media and that kind of thing? Yeah, you can hit me up on Facebook, Joe Willie. You can find me on Instagram, JP Willie Official. I'm also on the Twitter. Uh, you can find me there, JP Willie. Um, you can find me on YouTube. I have all the Blood in the Woods channels and a couple of concept film trailers for the two films that I am currently filming right now. Um, and in the future, in January, February of next year, I am shooting a film adaptation of Stephen King's Popsy via the Dollar Baby contract. So either oh. go big or go home. You're going to have to go to film festivals to see it. It is a non-commercial film project, uh, but it will be done justice, and it will be uh, something worth getting off your butts to go to a film festival to check out. Absolutely. So, I mean, that sounds that. amazing. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Um, well, thanks for everything, Joe. I mean, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed this interview. Um, and we, I think, I think I speak for all of us when I say we're, we're, we're collectively looking forward to seeing what you come up with in the future. So keep us posted when you've got new stuff on, on its way. Oh, I will, man. As soon as those movies are ready for viewings or reviews, you'll be one of the first ones to get in line and take a look at it. Awesome. We're really looking forward to it. All right. That wrapped it up. And as always, it's time for the housekeeping. October is right around the corner, and we've got a ghastly list of things that you can look forward to. Our theme is, of course, Halloween. And just like last year, we're prepped with a list of four more fan-favorite Halloween films, starting with the John Carpenter classic, Halloween. We've also got some extra goodies planned, including two interviews we're very excited to announce. Skeeta Jenkins, who fans will recognize as Cuddly Bear from Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, will be joining us mid-October. And Russell Jeffrey Banks from Who's Watching Oliver will be making an appearance at the end of October. It's going to be a lot of fun. Additionally, if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, we'll be at the opening weekend of Red Vane's Haunted House. Red Vane's Haunted House is Richmond's scariest indoor-outdoor haunted attraction. Created by Red Vane Army in 2016 and located at Hanover Vegetable Farm, which is just 10 miles from Short Pump and 20 miles from downtown Richmond. They've been featured in RVA Magazine, Richmond Magazine, and Style Weekly. It's where Richmond goes for horror. Join us and experience their 2018 attractions, including Rabbit's Cryfield, Redvin Asylum, and Providence, home for wayward children. The fun kicks off Friday, October 5th, and we'll be there on Saturday, October 6th. The activities continue every weekend through October, so be sure to head over to redvainhaunt.com. That's R-E-D-V-E-I-N haunt.com and grab your tickets as always you can follow terror and podnito on instagram facebook and twitter at terror and podnito you can also follow us individually too i'm palmer at sturmsworth and you can follow our other usual co-hosts alex at a looters and sam at sam heaps you can reach us via email at cast at terrorinpodnito.com and stop by our website terrorinpodnito.com for a full cast list and more if you like the cast don't forget to rate and review it means more to us than you could ever know thanks for tuning into this week's special and we'll be back with more terrifying antics next week 
as always, keep it creepy. Love you guys. Thank you.